My guest today is Adam Quiney. Adam Quiney is an executive coach. He's in leadership development. He's a very, very soon-to-be-published author. He's a former, and I think a lot of people say recovering attorney. I hear that term thrown down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You might, because you're not watching this, you won't know this, but if you see pictures of Adam, he's a killer tattoo aficionado. He is committed to real transformation for people. And I think in a first for the show, Adam, you are the second spouse to be on because I had your wife on with our mutual friend, Laura Westman. Uh, her name is Bay. She was on, I think that episode released about two and a half, three months ago where I interviewed the two of them together because they're podcasters. They're both coaches. And now finally she let you come on the show. If I'm under, if I'm understanding right, is that how it went? <laughs> I, she set a high bar for me. And it's probably impossible for me to to reach that bar, so it's safe for me to come on this show. Well, we start, we talked a lot about Star Trek and Disney, which will not shock you nice. at all. So I hope you're ready for that. But we'll, we'll probably take a little bit of a different route today. So, Adam, where are you joining us from today? I live in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, which is yeah. a, on an island off the west coast of Canada. Yes, I've heard it is quite stunning. Amazing. Very opposite where we are. I'm on the East Coast, and right now it is dark gray skies and pouring down rain. So if you hear thunderstorm oh, really? here, everybody listening, it's because it's a thunderstorm. We're going to record anyway. <laughs> so Adam, we got a whole lot to talk about today, so let's kick it off. What's something that you nerd out about? Um, well, transformation in general. I really like, I'm fascinated by, uh, let me just get my hands around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to understand good like transformational coaching or whatever for it to work for you in fact like the intellectual part of it can kind of get in the way of it but that's available too like if you want you can think about this stuff and create concepts and models and understand like why does x lead to y and how do we become the way we are so i like both aspects of that i'm Mm. a total consumer of this work in that i work with my coach and practice setting my intellect aside and just creating breakthroughs and then i'm also like this is so fascinating how humans develop and evolve and why X leads to Y. I want to know all of it. So I'm a nerd about that. And then more traditionally nerdy, I'm a giant nerd for Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. I've had a number of D&D people on. I'm trying to think if I've, says, you'll be episode about 140. I'm trying to think if I've had anybody. Yes, I did have somebody in season two who is also Magic the Gathering, which is funny cool. when I ask this question. Because some people just take it as, what do you really like? And other people take it as like, what's the thing that actually a lot of other people would think is nerdy? So do you play the, yes. do you play the actual cards? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I've got a whole yeah. bunch. No one's going to be able to see this, but you and I. But I've got yeah. a whole bunch of cards, decks that I'm in the process of building and making just on my other desk over here to the side. Wow. The only thing I know, like I'm a, I'm a big video gamer. Same. So the only thing I know about Magic the Gathering is what I know through like hearthstone and kind of those models and Gwent from the witcher where you play where you like match these cards but it's all based on kind of that idea right that you're matching cards and cards can dispel each other and all those sort of things yeah magic was kind of like the first the er game if you like and then all of the other stuff came about what what video games what kind of video games do you play it's important for our audience it is important for our audience well this is a tough question because i play a lot of video games uh, I mean, this year, I mean, I played Elden Ring just like everybody on the planet played Elden Ring. If you have a system, yeah. I'm playing, I play, I generally would play Madden, although I'm not really sure this year if I'm going to play Madden just because it's not that great anymore. I'm, big, mm. I'm a big NFL guy. 
Yeah. I play I play almost every AAA game that gets rated well, and then I really like some cool indie games. Like there's been a lot of great indie games this year that I like playing. Like yeah. uh, Tunic has been great, and I'm an Xbox yes. Game Pass subscriber where you're like, hey, I'm paying fifteen dollars a month. There's like four things I can try and with no stakes. I don't have to spend any money on it. If I don't like it, I do it. Versus, oh, I just spent seventy dollars on this game that I ended up not liking. So yeah, I'm a. I mean, I've been a gamer since I was probably seven or eight years old. It's just it's kind of my favorite thing to do if I'm not working or playing guitar. I'm probably gonna be playing video games. Yeah, yeah. When when I when we were kids, because we're probably around the same age you got the game and then no matter how good or bad the game was for me, at least you played it. Cause that's what you, you that's had. It. Yeah. That's and it, it was like, this game sucks, but I'm going to play it and I'm not oh, going to yeah. be having that much fun, but that's what I'm going to yep. do. <laughs> yep. I remember I'm, we had that, we had a Commodore 64. I'm 44. Mm-hmm. So that would have been when yep. I was maybe like 12. And I remember we would go to the library and we get the floppy disc and you could check yep. them out and you could do it. And now it's just so bad and so good at the same time you'd be like you know what adam i feel like playing this game you feel like playing this game cool let me download it on my fiber high-speed fiber network oh yeah. you know what i have a 50 gig game game in like 10 minutes i can play it's really yeah. good slash bad but as i always say to my wife it's uh it's a very low stakes hobby especially as a spouse because you know where i am i'm in the yes. basement on front of the tv and you know i'm not spending a lot of money and I spend it once and then it's a, it's a sunk cost. I'm not, a, it's not a recurring cost unless you're, yes. unless you're on a free to play model, but we'll have to do our, uh, our, uh, video game podcast at another time. Yeah, I was coming, on that. Yeah, that's coming. And everybody's like, okay, we're, we're going to, we might tune out. So let's stop. They've already turned this pod. This episode's already been turned off. Skip. <laughs> They're like magic, the gathering and video games. What is this <laughs> These crap? Guys are the worst. Ugh. So Adam, What's something that is inside of your comfort zone that you know other people either won't do or it's just a no, it's usually a no for them or they're scared to do? Yeah, an easy one is public speaking. I am mm-hmm. I'm I have a lot of ease speaking publicly. I didn't always, but that's something that um, turns out these days comes very natural and I'm very comfortable doing. Yeah. Was, I mentioned this at the beginning. You were a former attorney. Were you a litigator? Were you in front of people in a courtroom? So you were... I, I didn't stick with it too long, but I did speak in court while you I You did. There. So you weren't, yeah. you weren't just pushing paper on. That's, yeah. that's right. Here's what, another um, thing that's inside my comfort zone that's a little less traditional, which is I'm very comfortable um, pursuing my own style and doing things like wearing scarves during summer or stuff like that. So yeah. That's definitely something that's outside, especially for men, a lot of men's comfort zone oh. that's well inside mine. It's, this is a good example of outside of my comfort zone, pretty much because I hate being hot. So the idea of wearing it, I'm from Minnesota originally, so I, I'm an honorary Canadian, what I've been uh-huh. told many yeah. times by oh, Canadians. Yeah. Oh yeah. The idea of wearing a scarf when it's hot just makes, I, I'm getting sweaty thinking about it. Like no, you do you, man, but that is definitely outside. It's purely out of Linen my physical comfort zone. the sun off of you. It actually cools you down. This is the secret hack, but I get what? it. I get it. It is We're talking comfort zones here. Yeah, We're talking comfort zones. Interesting. Uh, flip side of that question, Adam, what's something mm-hmm. that you know that is you are really outside? It's outside of your comfort zone, not something you want to do or you will do. And you know for a fact that there's other people that are like, hell yeah, that's me. I'm in. Yeah, most adrenaline sports. So like skydiving, uh, definitely wingsuiting, um, a lot of like bike tricks and stuff like that. And then yeah. a more um, a sort of less obvious one would probably be going and asking people specifically, like making a specific request for support. That would be something like, can you lend me a hundred dollars or can you do X, Y, and Z for me? Those would be 
outside of my comfort zone for sure. Will you, will you do the second one? Like asking for specific support, will you do it when needed? Yeah. I mean, it's a practice, right? All our comfort Mm -hmm. zone always is. And so I'm, I mean, this book that we're going to talk about is that's been a place where I've been engaging and practicing that, which is I can't, I could buy a hundred copies of the book myself, but that's cheating and that's not what I'm about. And that's not going to create what I want to create in the world. And so it's sort of like, well, you can let the book sort of sit in obscurity or you can start to take this on, Adam, create the breakthrough. And so I'm in the practice of working with that. Mm. I've been doing that in other places too, because it's just, um, I'm committed to something bigger than what doing it all on my own allows for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, so Adam and I, we, we have been trained at the same place. Do you remember the, the exercise where you're asked to go out and ask for a hmm. dollar from people? I do. I hated it. I couldn't do it. Mm. It was the one thing. It was the one thing we were asked to do in that whole 12 months that I was like, I actually couldn't do it. Because I spent 20 years in sales and the idea that people are going to give you money for absolutely nothing, but just being a person. I'm like, like I had a huge block run. I remember talking about this when we came back and I was just like, I, I can't do it. Mm. I can't, like I actually had, I mean, I, I could have probably forced myself, but other people had all sorts of other things that were wildly uncomfortable. Most of the other stuff, because I was working with a coach, I was like, this is easy. Yeah. And then that thing, it got me. It's like, there's always something that gets you. That thing got me big time. And I, I remember that feeling because I, I used to like to dress nice suit, t- maybe like a casual, nice like tie with it, whatever. And so I felt like, first of all, just like a dickhead going and asking oh, yeah. people for a dollar. We also oh, were yeah. giving dollars. That was easier for me to hand that oh. to someone. Oh, yeah. But like the, the moment that really got me and had me create quite a bit of empathy with beggars, I guess we'll call them homeless. Someone asking for money was I went up to this. It was two women. And I said, hey, do either of you have a dollar I could have? And the one of them stopped and she looked at me and then she said, no, thank you. And they walked off and I was just like, oh, frig you. I was so annoyed that she said, no, thank you. Like she didn't even address yeah. the words I'd spoken to her. Right. And I was just like, oh boy, this, this would suck. So yeah, that was a really challenging exercise. <laughs> oh man. All right, Adam, on the subject of public speaking, mm-hmm. you do a lot of it, as you mentioned. So if I give you five minutes and you could speak about anything you want, the entire world gets to hear it and understand it. What would you speak on? And at the end of your five minutes, what would be your call to action to all of us? Well, it would probably change moment by moment. Like, I mean, the obvious thing would be that I would probably speak on leadership because I think it's such an important topic and it's, um, Important, not because like our political system is falling apart or because there's all this strife in the world. That's all true. There's a lot of stuff going on that's not good. It's important because we believe that's what's important about leadership is like we should talk about leadership because our leaders are failing. We should talk about leadership because it's a personal thing. And when we talk about like when we really get into like deep ontological, which is to say like leadership is a quality of being. When we talk about that, it empowers all of us to rise up beyond kind of where we get stuck in our lives. And if we each individually start to come more from a place of our own personal inner leadership, all of that other stuff, I really believe, starts to take care of itself. It's like the ultimate grassroots. Mm. It it works its way out. It percolates. And so that's probably what I would talk about absent any kind of, you know, in a vacuum. 
And yeah. what would the call to action be? It would probably be like, take on getting supported. Like we, mm. we really have this, we'll call it a context. We have this belief and like actions we take from that belief in this world that like, it's a good thing to have it all handled yourself and it's weak to ask or receive support and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And to, to be able to ask for and receive support and I'm recognizing, you know, I've just acknowledged that's a challenge for me, but like that, that's where we all really grow because I can pick you up and you can pick the person that helped pick me up and I can help pick, you know, it like <clears throat> there's this beautiful way that it comes back around. We can all pick yeah. each other up. Yeah. Yeah. I thought for a minute you were going to say, and my call to action would be giving me a dollar, which would have been, which been a great, <laughs> which would have been, been great. a great, yeah. that'd have been a great callback. <laughs> well, before we go to the commercial, Adam, <clears throat> you know, I, I'd mentioned, I'm from Minnesota and I grew up in a very Midwestern culture, which is you go to them, you're willing to help everybody else, but over here, there's nothing needed. Right. I don't, and, and I don't know if that's a similar, you know, similar how, to how you were raised or how you grew up, but that's a hard thing to break. It's still a thing that, and also being in sales and you running, you know, you run your own business. I run my own business. On the outside, people think you have to have it handled a lot of the time. Like the uh -huh. idea that, you have to hire a coach or go and get some marketing strategy. It, it, a lot of people see that as a portrayal of something that makes you weak. Yes. And I really, and I say all this because I, uh, to, to compliment you is to be able to make normalize that actually there is, we don't do it on our own. I think we all actually, we all know that we don't do it on our own, but then when, when we go and ask for helps a lot in a lot of industries and lots of types of things, it's like, it's a thing that is frowned upon. Yeah, we we intellectually know intellectually that we don't do it on our own. But the trouble <laughs> is, intellectually knowing something is the booby prize. It's so easy to know stuff. That's why yeah. Facebook and LinkedIn are rife. They're replete. I'm super pleased I used that word. They're replete That's... with like stuff that we know to be true. Totally. But when it leadership happens in the moment and is an experience and. So, you know, we, we're aware, oh, support's important, but when it comes time to ask for it, we're like, uh, maybe I'll go back and post another meme. And that, you know, that we get a lot of leaders doing exactly what you've described, which is trying to give to the world something they're unwilling to receive. Yeah. So give support, but being unwilling to ask for and receive it. And the impact of that is that when what they give us doesn't really land. It doesn't feel that good. It feels like there's a power imbalance or stuff like that. And like, oh, they're they're giving to me, but they believe asking for and receiving support is weak. And so I what does that say about me? And even if none of that is communicated verbally, energetically that happens. That is exchanged, yeah. it's transmitted through our being. And so yeah. that's where leadership falls down. Yeah. Before we go uh right before we go to the commercial break, as an executive coach, you're working with people of high levels inside of organizations, but likely some of them, I don't know this to be true, but likely some of them and, and some more hierarchical organizations. What would you say to somebody listening that was, that's the kind of leader I want to be, but my culture and my company does not allow for that. Cause there are still companies out there that asking for help is not like you're supposed to handle your business. Mm -hmm. what, what do I you, would, what do you say to those types of clients? Yeah, I would say there's always a reason why not do the thing that's going to be edgy for you? So like, mm. first of all, it can be really helpful for people to shift the context and understand the reason I am in a culture where that is not supported is because that's what's comfortable for me, first and foremost. So what that yeah. does is it frames it more like, oh, 
I'm here because it allows me to continue not pushing into the edge of asking for support. And then second is do it anyway. So what? You're going to ask people, hey, could you support me? And they're going to judge you for being weak. Great. Keep doing it and show them that you're not weak. If we're willing mm. to stand in this different belief ourselves, then over time as we practice, either we're going to leave a culture that's not supporting us anyhow and find something right. that does, or we're going to start to change. We're going to till the soil, so to speak. We're going to start to turn yeah. over. And that's where personal leadership is so important because we start to be the change. And that culture starts to shift surprisingly, as you are willing to keep acting out in the face of your resistance and the resistance of the culture you've created around you. Yeah. Beautiful, Adam. Mm. We're going to take a brief commercial break. We'll be right back. All right, Adam, we are back. What else do you want us to know about you? Uh, like fun Adam facts. You want some fun Adam facts? What do you want to give us? Um... I guess I'll share, I don't have anything prepared, uh, some fun facts. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll share about um, kind of my journey as a dancer. So, and I'll try to share this fairly quickly, but it mirrors my journey as a leader and as a man fully expressed on this planet. So in the early days, I saw people break dancing in my school gym and it was all the cool kids. And I was like, that's amazing. But I was a nerd. I played Magic the Gathering in the library. And so I definitely didn't get to go partake with them. And over time, I discovered not breakdancing, but a style of dance called popping and locking, a bunch of mm -hmm. styles, They're really cool. And so I learned these by myself in secret with my best friend. We'd practice and get down in front of a mirror and we'd watch videos back when you had VHS tapes. Yeah. And what happened is I became very exquisite in my technique. It was I was very good at technique because that's all I practiced, but I would never go out and practice it or sorry, and, and dance. And eventually I started to do that. And what you would see if you watched me was like perfect technique without any heart or soul. So mm -hmm. I like my moves like spot on, but there was no like, there's no magic to it. There's no soul of the music in it. There was just someone doing moves over top of music or like yeah. kind of at the same time. And what happened is I went and trained with the founders of these styles, had the honor to do this. And I was thinking they're going to show me the technique I haven't got yet. That's going to make everything fit together. And I was really <laughs> annoyed because they just had us doing bullshit like the funky chicken for like five yeah. minutes or yeah. like the Bart Simpson or all these social dances. And I, I remember feeling like, Oh, this is so annoying. Why are we doing this? And why does it feel so fun? Ugh. And <laughs> Dancing. This isn't supposed to be fun. Sucks. Shouldn't enjoy this. And <laughs> What started to happen was the soul got brought into my dance. And mm. that journey, that arc, I mean, there's more to it, but I'm going to sort of stop it there and say that arc is really like a significant part of what my arc as a human being has been, where I kind of learned to operate largely from my head. I have a huge heart and I'm quite spiritual, but I shut both of those things down just to live from my head. And so I began a lot of this work. Um, like head focused and how do I master intimacy? What are all the intricacies I can learn about to be intimate with my wife? And of course, as you can imagine, there's absolutely no intimacy in that. No. And so I just find I continue to relive that journey that just keeps being new places in my life where I'm like, Oh, I'm moving out of my head and into my heart and then into my soul and fascinating. That's really cool, mm -hmm. man. I love the way you know, the universe works. Yes, I was, me too. I was, um, interviewing somebody else 
on this podcast this morning. It's going to be out shortly. And he's a, uh, a former F-16 fighter pilot author as well, fiction author, and he's a musician. And we were just talking about this very same concept as a musician, same thing. And he's a huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan and he's a big blues guy. And, and he's like, and he was, and he's good. But he's like, when I realize that I'm never going to be Stevie Ray Vaughan and I get to be me on the guitar, mm-hmm. so much more fun. And just the idea that, and, and you and I live in this space, it's always the next technique, the next mindset. This is the thing that's going to have my life all come together. And I, it sounds like we're aligned. I'm a big fan of it. There's no one right answer. And what might be the very best thing for Jason might be the worst thing for Adam. Yeah. And on and on and on we go. And the idea that this is the right way to do it. And also at the end of the day, I I just love that because it's so funny when you think of dancing, I think of dancing as like one of the most soul and heart based things you can do. Yeah. And man, like that, nobody's like, wow, that guy's technically really a good dancer. You're like, wow, that dude's having a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm vibing on what he's putting out. I'm there. vibing and vibing on what he's putting out there. He's having a lot of fun. Yeah, you you obviously have to do the practice, but that's um that's super interesting. So, Adam, I, w- I want to ask you before we move on. Have you asked me something? Do you remember the moment when you realized that being an attorney was just not the thing? Because and I asked this of people who have gone and had some advanced schooling because that's got to be painful as hell to mm. spend the time, the energy, the money, the studying, and go wait, this isn't it. Do you remember what it was for you or like when it was, or did it, was it a specific moment or just a calling? Like how did it, it go for you? It was a few you? things. Yeah, it was a few yeah. things. Um, one was um, feeling like initially the, the practice of law felt very noble to me. Like, wow, you know, you stand for the importance of our, our system that puts innocence before guilt, like innocence until proven guilty above all else that, and then you're, standing for someone's right to due process, even when everyone else may have already judged them guilty. That I was like, that's really noble and challenging because the the weight of public opinion is a lot. But I started to have this experience like, yeah, that's noble in theory, but in practice, it turned out my experience was much more that you were just arguing for being right. And that what you were really doing typically would be I'd witness attorneys like take cases and then use their brilliant lawyer mind to justify why in this convoluted manner, here's why what I'm doing is noble. So it was almost like, oh, you could just twist mm-hmm. anything into this. That's not really what I think I was finding myself <laughs> called to at first. The second thing was I didn't find many lawyers at all that loved their jobs, like that yep. really their being was love. I found a great deal of lawyers that when I'd ask them if they'd love their job, they would articulate to me really effectively, like a lawyer would, why they liked their job or why they ought to love it. So I'd say like, yeah. do you love your job? And they go, well, here's the thing. I'd be like, that's already a miserable, you're off <laughs> to a bad start, brother. Right. I want spit to exit your mouth and land on my neck from your enthusiasm. This is of course pre-COVID. So yeah. there were those two things. And then the last thing I'll share on this piece was when I realized probably not the career for me. Also, the hours are miserable. I wasn't very yeah. interested in that. Yeah. The other thing that made it really hard was that, you know, my brother is a very successful radiologist. So way to go. He's sort of set a high bar. He's younger than me. It's even worse. And I was the lawyer. So it's in our family, like way to go. You know, mom and dad, your two kids have done the right things. And then yeah. here I am leaving a career where I've amassed a great deal of debt to go to school yeah. and am stepping into a career that is like, 
you know, largely perceived as kind of loopy and wacky. And, you know, there's a lot of nonsense in the profession because it doesn't have a high bar to entry. It's a very low bar to entry. And so yeah. the, the, I guess my projection of how my parents felt about it and probably some of how they actually did feel about it. There's a lot of weight to that that made it a really challenging decision. Yeah. And here we are. Yes. Indeed. With the book coming out in two weeks uh-huh. and uh, all sorts of amazing things. All right, Adam, I'm a little, I'm, gonna, I'm a little nervous right now. We'll see what, we'll see what happens here. <laughs> For those listening, Adam now has a kind of a shit eating grin on his face. And now, now we're uh-huh. going to make, we're going to make the ho- the host struggle. Adam, what uh, what what do you want to ask me that I can answer for you and for everybody listening? Mm. What are you uh, resisting or avoiding in your life right now? <clears throat> oh, that's neat, oh, man. At a tactical level, I'm resisting getting some really not that challenging admin work done, mm-hmm. including like things I need to do for my business because I just despise it. And I Mm. have reached a point in my life where I don't really want to do anything. I don't want to do. This is my inner rebel and it has to be done. Like it's one of those things I can't even farm it out. Like I actually have to do it right? because it's my business. So that's on a tactical level on a more, on a more like ontological and like define for the, uh, let's define for the audience. What ontology ontology is the study of being. Mm-hmm. So when Adam's referring to ontology and I'm referring to ontologies, way we're trained, it's the, you know, and Adam, you've made some really good examples around this, around being at an ontological level. I'm definitely still resisting finding the gold everywhere. Mm-hmm. I still have some really strong opinions in a lot of the places I'm in. And <clears throat> it's a little bit challenging for me because some of the things I do in my business is really a lot of right strategy type stuff. Right. Training, facilitation, teaching, or hey, we're going to do marketing strategy. Here's best practices. And it kind of, in a way, I need to show up as the expert. It's what I get paid for. And where I resist the gold is there could be, well, where I resist the gold and the output of that for me is then I end up showing up in spaces where there isn't quite as much of that context, where I'm still kind of in that context. And then uh, as we're talking, see, this is Adam coaching. He asked one question, then you sit here and talk for <laughs> 20 minutes. <clears throat> the other thing I'm resisting is, and I share this with another coach is I'm resisting some really basic things that I knew would serve me, like not having my calls go an hour any long, any longer, having mm-hmm. to go 50 minutes. So I get the 10 minutes to, to shift out of that client into the next one. Some basic. Why do you go longer than that? Like, why don't what, you go? Why don't I go longer than an hour? No, why, like you're saying what would benefit you is to stop earlier and then you're not yeah. doing that. Like what, how come? It's a great question. I think it's because I've always done it that way and I just <clears> haven't ever <throat> like, oh, here's the way you do it. And um, by the way, I was trained and I just haven't done it, but nobody ever said this is the right way. Right. I said, oh, this is a way. So that's purely and I just took that as habit rather than like, ah, they're yeah. going to think I'm not providing enough value or any of that sort of stuff. No, no, it's not ah, that I'm, gotcha. I'm, I'm somebody like to land the plate on time. And also the kind of people that I work with, I mostly work with tech founders. They would be happy to do 50 minutes. Be like, great. Right, we can get course. this done in 50. They're not, we're not having, you know, two hour exploratory conversations unless they want to. So yeah, some, some tactical things there, some tactical things around this podcast. I get done recording with you. Here's a list of three things I could do. And within five minutes, it would make my life easier a month from now that I just 
Don't do. So um, funny how we are, isn't it? It is funny. It is uh-huh. funny. It's a great question, Adam. Um, nobody's ever asked me that on here, which I'm not surprised about. Let's do another one. Hit me. Hit me, brother. What, what else you got for me? Another question? Yeah, hit me with a question. Um, let's see. What is like, so you're working with people, you coach them, whatever. What's like a pattern of being or a way someone shows up that is like really, really hooky for you? Mm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, when they play into my, I know, you know, the right answer is hooky for me. Mm, like they're that's, seeking that's, your kind of expert advice. Yeah. I know yeah. That one too. Yeah. yeah this tricky. is what I spent 20 years getting paid to do, Adam. So, yeah. you know, a lot more practice of that. That's one. Another one it's hooky for me is, um, there's a couple of topics that parenting, because I'm a parent, parent of young children. So when people are like, Hey, right. I have a challenge with timing or this, I, that's, it's, it's really hard for me to stand outside of that. And I have a real challenge with health when people, mm. oh, I'm, you know, like people have actually, like when they actually have health things, I have a real challenge with those. So it's, it, there's both circumstantial. Yeah. But especially during the pandemic, when people are like, Hey, I'd love to work with you, but I'm at home with my kids. Like, I don't really know how to stand outside of that. And then in integrity, walk in and watch my wife who works a full-time job and me work a full-time job dealing with the exact same thing when you have right. your kids. Yeah. At so it's hard. It's like, that's that's a little bit hooky. That's quite hooky for me. Um, and then there's one more. What's another one? People that complainers. I can't stand complaining. Mm. Yeah. And I and I mean that from. I complain too. There's no. I'm complaining about complainers. How I remember that. <laughs> I there's, love that um, one. Yeah, yeah I'm complaining people about people for being judgmental. Yeah, God, these <laughs> asshole judgmental people. It's not that I, I don't mind venting. At, like I really don't mind venting. I've been told I'm pretty good at that. What I, it's not the complaining. Now that I talk about it, it's the complaining with no interest in doing anything about it besides just complaining again and again and again. Mm. That's right. what stopped me. And this has been even prior to my coaching journey, just even in my career, I would always. I'd be like, all you do is, is gossip at work and you complain about your thing, but you don't do anything about it. So right. if you want to, you know, it's like be the change you want, or um, you have to be the change. Have your feelings, have your vent, be pissed yes. off. That's human. That's normal. I, I actually like that. I like when people bring emotions. And now Adam, and if you're my client, it's like, hey, you just, you know, like spent 10 minutes. That sounds good. What would you like to do about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of my favorite question and have people go, you know what? T- for today, in the next two days, nothing besides being pissed. Like, cool. That's your choice. Nothing wrong with that. That's human. Yeah. Next week, what would you like to do about it? And just you know, always have people flush that stuff out. And I think a lot of that comes from, again, the way I was raised. My parents are amazing, but there's definitely a level of my. It's not my parents. Even it's just like helplessness, right? Like the idea that like you, yeah. it's done to you. You can't do anything about it. And I, I wanted this is actually not a, my parents are not like that, but just a lot of the people I grew up with are that way. Yeah, for sure. And, I totally get you know, that. You take you take ownership. There are real things in this world, and at the same time, you can take ownership, and you can at least try some different things than besides doing the exact same thing over and over again. Because we know what's going to happen when you do that. Yeah. Cool. Good answer. Awesome questions. All right, I got the Adam seal of approval. Stamp, stamp. <laughs> Adam, what are you passionate about besides Magic: The Gathering and leadership <laughs> development? Everything. Passion's part of who I am. So, is that in your essence words? Yes, it is. Yeah. Me too. It's my number one, actually. Mm, nice, brother. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't 
the what that means, you know, in terms of like how that manifests. I don't like stuff. I love it. I dive head yeah. first into it. Yeah. So what I'm currently passionate about um, is um, right now drumming. I'm really into drumming. You know what a cajon mm-hmm. is? Like a, a box. Yeah. You ever seen that? Yeah. So I'm really into yeah. cajon mm-hmm. playing. I'm really into uh, cocktails, craft cocktails. So we have a, which I have a pub in my house, like a literal, if you saw it, you'd be like, damn, that's literally a British pub in that room. The previous owner was a Anglophile, hardcore Brit. And he made this house and he was like, there's going to be a pub in my house. So we got a pub. So I, over the pandemic really got into making good craft cocktails. I'm very passionate about that. Just looking around my room to see what else I'm passionate about. Uh, Two other things I'll share. I'm really passionate about one wheeling right now, which is uh, Mm -hmm. we and I were talking about this at the start kind of a single wheel with a almost like a skateboard balanced between it, um, which is yeah. an amazing, super fun toy. And then um, the last thing I'm really passionate about right now is the, the sort of, uh, I guess I'll call it like the nexus maybe, or the bridge between transformational coaching and leadership and um, plant medicine and indigenous teachings. So ayahuasca yeah. and other plant medicines. I think when you, combine those two things and bridge them, there is absolute magic that happens. I'm very passionate about being a bridge for the world to start to experience both sides of what is there to be provided. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it kind of feels like it's, you choose one or the other out there is kind of a lot of it's marketed. You either go have a spiritual journey and be awakened, then you don't need anybody or you work with somebody and that's a foo-foo. Well, yes, Adam, this seems like a really good time because we were talking about essence, talking about things you're passionate about, and since passion's in your words and it's also in mine, a really good time, if you'd be open to it, let's talk about your book. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about your it. book. Yeah, let's talk about your book at a high level for those who don't know about essence words and survival mechanism. Let's let's lay the groundwork here for the next few minutes as you talk about the concepts of, concepts of the book. So Adam, when we talk about, you and I are trading, hey, we're both passionate essence. What does that mean to the common person who has no idea what we're talking about? Yeah. So um, we would assert, since we are both, well, I'm going to use some jargon and then I'll clear it up. So since we are both ontologically focused, meaning where we look is at who someone is being underneath what they're doing, we begin that work with an assertion. And the assertion is that people have a fundamental nature to them upon like coming onto this planet. And we also assert that that fundamental nature is kind of, we, we can distinguish it using qualities of being. So like generosity, um, spirituality, divinity, wisdom, brilliance, connection, passion, presence, radiance. These are all qualities of being. And you can, if you're someone listening, you can kind of get a sense of this if you've ever spent time around toddlers. And sometimes around toddlers, we have this weird experience where we're with the kid and we're like, damn, this is so weird. But I feel like this kid's a wise old soul which is a Mm -hmm. weird thing to say until you come and look at it through this lens that we're talking about, which is to say what you're getting from that kid is the experience of wisdom in their presence. And so we would say everyone, everyone has all qualities of being available to them, but some of us have, all of us have strong suits sort of like I could wear my hair in any particular haircut, but my hair naturally parts a particular way. We all have hair, but the parts kind of different and So that's where we start. We've got this essential nature, this beautiful set of qualities that we share in common with certain people and that we have kind of like a strong suit. That's what's natural for me. It's natural for me to show up passionate, natural for me to bring a lot of brilliance into the space and to be witty and playful and all of that sort of stuff. 
So that's the essence. Want me to go to the next thing from there? Well, yeah, let's talk about the other side or the the concept of your book. And then I want to go back and use you and I as an example here so that people, we can relate the brownwork. So what's the other side of that, of the essence that, that you talk about in the book as well? Yeah. So we come onto the planet just like sort of already fully expressed. There's no stories that we've learned from society that it's wrong for you to cry at this time of night. There's no stories that we've learned that like these people are scary. Those people do this. It's weak to ask for support. It's wrong to do this, you know, whatever. But very quickly, we learn from the world around us that, oh, what comes naturally to me is not welcome in these situations. And in those other situations, we learn what comes naturally to me is not enough. I need to be even more so. So a really simple example would be like a child going to school. The child's naturally got a lot of brilliance and they come home with four A's and a B. And they're like, look what I got, mom. And their parent, who's really trying to raise the kid right and really wants the kid to be successful in life, puts all the attention on the B. What happened Mm -hmm. here? What went wrong there? Why don't you have A pluses? Blah, blah, blah. And so the child makes some assumptions because that's all that we can do. They conclude, oh, I guess what came naturally to me wasn't good enough. I need to like lay into this. I got to turn this up even higher. So what tends to happen in the model in this book that I've created is that we, in some situations, learn to like overexpress ourselves. In mm-hmm. some places, we learn to turn ourselves up to like 12. It's like a hyper expression. And then in other places, we learn to turn down our light. We learn maybe around a parent who... If we are naturally, you know, I've got a loud voice. And if I got a lot of training from my parents that was like, shh, be quiet, you're being too much, you're showing off. I learn around certain situations that my natural presence in the space is too much. And so I learn in those places, dim my light, hide, become small. So what happens is we learn this quite innocently and genuinely from people that, sorry, not genuinely, generally from people that love us and are trying to help us. Mm-hmm. We learn what's natural and innate for me is not right in these situations. And I need to yeah. either be more than I am naturally or less than I am naturally. And that starts a process that we carry on for the rest of our lives. We get better and better and better in those situations at being too much or too little of what is natural for us. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So let's very fascinating. So let's take this, Adam, let's take it back to passion. How does that I'm asking this because I'm the host, but I could easily share how this shows up for me too. And I, and I will, yeah. but give us an example from your life. How mm-hmm. does the overclocking or underclocking of passion show up for you at the ripe age of whatever age you are exactly here today? How does it still show up for you? Cause your assertion is this is always happening. I mean, yeah. like this, this is not a, Oh, I read Adam's book or I got a coach and we work through it. And now I'm quote unquote fixed. Or now I have better, yeah. you, you have better noticing, but we're, this is an automatic thing that we do as humans. It's part of what makes us human. Yeah. So like, like we just said, you know, I'm passion is part of naturally who I am. So I love stuff. I get like, man, I want to know all about it. I don't just play a video game. I read the strategy. I go on the wiki. I read every article about it. I read the trivia behind the game. What did the maker do before this? So on and so forth. So as a kid, I was given, my brother and I were given a Nintendo for Christmas one year dating myself. That's all good. Nintendo ruled. And there's the original Nintendo, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And, and I blow, loved in, it. blow into the cartridges. That's right. Yeah, yeah. blow me. <laughs> and then put it back in. And somehow that works magically. And so um, I loved that thing and played that. I'm just going to close the window here. Yeah. 
played that game, um, Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt back then, uh, a lot. And then I, my, I beat the game and my parents said, you know, when you beat that game, we'll buy you a new one. I said, yay. And they bought me this new game, Super Mario Brothers 2. And I played the crap out of that. And, and I won that quite quickly. I was getting better. And what happened is my parents concluded, one, because I would get kind of a bit in, in, in um, what's the right word? Like invested, maybe a little, ah, I need to win this game. I would get a little uh, attached to it. Mm. And two, because of how quickly I'd won the game, my parents concluded he's, he's putting too much time into this. He's playing this too fast and he gets kind of nasty. We don't like that. We're going to sell his Nintendo. We're taking it away. That's it. You could judge my parents for what they did. There might have been a better way. That's not really the point of this story. They were doing yeah. what they were doing from a place of loving parenthood. And yeah. they were doing the best they could see to do. So we let them off the hook. They did nothing wrong. What happened was I concluded in that moment, the natural state of passion that's there for me, that's dangerous. If I get too invested in my passion, I will lose the thing I'm passionate about. And so what I learned to do was when my passion flares up, start to lit it start to pull it back down. So it's almost if you could imagine like a sine wave, and I know I'm yeah. drawing this with my hand, but you know people will have to imagine a curve that goes up to one and then down to negative one, then back up to one. What I And if that whole state is like my fully expressed passion, happiness, sadness, whatever, what I learned to do is kind of flatten it. Mm-hmm. And consequently, in certain situations where I really felt excited about stuff, I would occur as very apathetic. People would experience me like, oh, wow. are you even excited about this? And I would experience myself kind of apathetic, which consequently is an amazing skill for an attorney. You're unflappable. Nothing's going to get you. Say whatever you want. It's going to bounce right off of me. It's good for a salesperson as well, Adam. Yeah. You can't (laughs) hook me. You can't get me. I'm calm seas the whole way through. So that uh, we'll call it that like that thing I learned, that, that way of showing up, it's not all bad. Like you said, there's times like if if you're captaining a ship and I'm on it and we're on rough seas, I want you to be calm. I don't want you to be like, ah, we're going to die or whatever. So it's not that these tendencies we develop are bad. It's that they become automatic to us. Anytime my passion started to flare, I didn't have to think about it anymore. It was just an automatic, bring it back down. Let's get to that flat line. And so that's an example of the underexpressing side of my passion kind of showing up. I love that. So the book, so what's the book called? Book's called "Who Do You Think You Are," and then the the subheading is a, a leader's guide to what the mirror doesn't show you. Yeah. So one of the things I love about this book, and I learned about this book from I was at a, a, another place you spoke at last month, or it was even this month. This month mm-hmm. is this book is really useful for coaches, but it's also useful for anybody that's interested in leadership, both to take a look at yourself, and just as importantly for me. I would want to use this book to take a look at my team and see where they're underclocked or overclocked. Yes. And I'm a, I, I do, I'm a Clifton Strengths person. I'm certified in that tool. Mm-hmm. There's something similar. This is an ontological book. Clifton Strengths has a very similar concept. I don't know if you've studied Clifton Strengths at all. They call is it that the, the shadow of your shadow of your strength. Uh, so, so that's different than Strengths Finder. Is that right? Uh, no, Clifton Strengths is don't don't fire me, Gallup. Clifton Strengths is the rebranding of of, of Strengths Finder. 
which was one of the all-time best-selling books. And then they decided, you know what? So many people know the name of this thing that we're going to change it to something different. Don Clifton and <laughs> Dr. Don Clifton invented it. And so it's actually called Clifton Strengths now. Uh-huh. But from a from an objective view, when you get your, it's 34 strengths on a list, 10 strength and 24 manage, same thing as we'll call them the blind spot or the shadow of your strengths. And it's the place where, and for you, what I hear is you're you're probably high learner based on what you're saying or high input. Those things are both, I like to learn things. I like to collect things. I like to know a lot of things. The shadow of both of those things is you do so much time learning and inputting that you never actually use it anywhere. And so you mm-hmm. have these people that are, and this isn't about you, but people that have these wealths of knowledge, but the wealths of knowledge, they, they've never applied it to make the world a better place right? and all that. So really fascinating book. So um, it's coming out soon, like very soon. Yep. Two weeks. Two weeks. Where is it available? Yeah. So September 12th is when it launches. And um, the day of the launch, we're doing a promotion. It's um, Amazon is where people buy it. So the day of the launch, if people buy the book for net, they can buy the book on Kindle only, and it's 99 cents. If they do that and connect with me and show me a receipt for that date, it has to be that date, we'll send them a free paperback uh, copy of the book. So that's a hot deal. And then after that, forevermore, uh, the paperback, the hardcover, and the Kindle are all available at a regular price, um, which will be, you know, September 13th and beyond. Yeah. Oh, you're doing hardcover as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really like when I designed, when I wrote this, it kind of like grew. This started from a really uh, funny project that I'll share in a moment. But as this was coming into existence, I started to, to realize like, oh, I think this is a book people like read most of it. And then they have it on their desk as a reference for like supporting themselves to read. And so if I'm going to have a book like that, I want something gorgeous. I want something that for me, when I have a reference book, I want something that feels nice and that looks good on my desk. And so, yeah, we designed a beautiful cover, hard copy, make it really feel nice. Yeah. Well, I'm going to zoom out and show you this. You're going to, you're going to be here on my, uh, my desk here. I'm going to get the book Nice. going to be added to all my podcast guests. And that's not all the ones that had the book, but I will, Definitely keep it there, both as a coach, but also as a podcaster. I like to put any anybody I've had on right back there. I'll have you there. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool, Adam. How long did it take you to write the book? From so, concept to where you're... I mean, it's done yeah. now, right? You yeah. Editor, public, yeah. Yeah, Obviously. I hope so. I hope this one ends. Uh, <laughs> you're like, you know what, Adam? We need some more changes here the next two weeks before <laughs> yeah. we put... The, you're like, uh, wait, what? Don't post the podcast yet. <laughs> uh, so... There's like multiple answers on one level, like 12 years, right? Like all of this has been building over all of my time, one learning model of ontology and then sort of adapting it, building on my, on that, creating my own. But then the initial idea began because I was um, in Portland getting stoned. I was, I had a bit of a, not a bit of, I had a problem with smoking pot back then. And I was just getting baked and, looking for stuff to do. And so I started playing with Canva. Canva is a graphic design tool. Oh yeah. And I was also taking a lot of photos and I started to have this idea as I was playing around in Canva, like, Oh, you know, it'd be really neat to capture like a quality of being like connection. And then I'll design like a little graphic for it. So I started with like connection, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the extraordinary. And I began to make these and I sent them to like a few clients and one of them told me it was cute. And I was like, I did not like that. Okay. I'm not going to keep sending <laughs> these to people. And, um, and that idea of like kind of capturing 
some of these qualities in a way that people could recognize as opposed to just yeah. like this nebulous word. I was like, that has some legs to it. And so initially I started to work on that and try to create a bunch of beautiful graphics. Then I started to like create a very short form, like a quick sheet of about 20 of these. And then that started to become uh, a book that I was writing. And so there from start all the way to finish, like beginning with that Portland thing, it was probably about five years and writing yeah. it proper has probably been maybe two and a half years. Yeah. Nah. Well, congratulations. I, I work with a, I work with, and I know quite a few authors interviewed quite a few here, do some brand strategy with them. It's not a small undertaking, no matter what size oh. the book is. It is the, the person I had on the podcast today. He's like I said, he's a quite well-known fiction writer. It's a labor of love. And it's also putting yeah. yourself out there in the world big time or yeah. where people are going to go, eh, I like it. I don't like it. You're going to want more reviews on Amazon. It's like all these things that you know are going to be likely present for you and just you know i I'm, i have such respect for authors because it is that would be a thing that'd be out of my comfort zone is writing a book uh-huh not only no not only out of my comfort zone i just don't want to do it i don't like writing <laughs> i'm like yeah. that sounds miserable the, me, so the, really cool the, adam the saving grace over here is i love writing writing yeah. a book is a different undertaking than just authorship like writing posts but i love both yeah and two what i'm most excited about is i don't really have my eye on like this being a bestseller at Barnes and Noble or something, I'm just really excited to send this as a gift to coaches yeah. that I get in touch with that are like, oh, I want to learn more. Is there a book? And I can be like, yeah, there is now because I've been looking for one forever and now I have one I can give you and I think it's really going to serve. So that's yeah. what I'm most excited about. It's also a great tool to get out and get speaking engagements. Just have a mm -hmm. book and you have it in the yeah. back of the room and you know, author is never a bad thing to add to your title. It's amazing, for Adam. Sure. So I, gotta, I have a few more questions for you. Let's hit them. Yeah. What's something you're afraid might be true about you? Um, uh, some easy, I'll give you a couple like that. I'm a disappointment and that could be like any number of places. Like even just, I show up on a podcast and people are like, it's going to be amazing. This guy sounds cool. And then they listen. They're like, ah, like that guy kind of sucked. Mm. Uh, afraid often that, um, that I don't actually care about people that I'm very selfish and just don't give anything. Don't, don't care at all about people. Um, and that I'm like, uh, insensitive and I like, it is kind of a, a little bit of a elaboration on the last one, but like just insensitive yeah. and, and kind of full of myself and not really present to under, other people. Mm. For those, those two, the insensitivity and being afraid that you don't care about people. What do you do to compensate for that? You, you mean in terms of like from my essence or you mean like reactive, like from when that fear shows up, what's my reactive response? No. So, well, one of the things in this podcast, I've asked this question to 130 some people and people are like, oh, it's this. And then I never tell them and I ask them the compensation question. Then they're always like, oh yeah. Like people are like, I'm afraid I'm actually lazy. And then they're like, oh my God, I work myself to the bone. To uh, right. Like, like yeah. it's like, well, so this is a good example of what I believe. Another way to put this in the context of your book is the thing you're afraid might be true about you or about me or about any of us is the underclocking of the essence. Yeah. And then the thing that you do to compensate is you turn that dial up on the other yes. side. Yeah. yeah. And in the book, what's really cool, I think, is we call these obvious fixes and we have these distinguished for a whole bunch of different, you know, here's the fear or the under and the overclocking. Here are the obvious fixes to them. So the, I'll, I'll speak then from like the obvious fixes, you know, like what do I kind of 
reactively do. Yeah. From being insensitive, I, uh, I kind of lose my sovereignty. So whether mm. it's in partnership with my beautiful, <clears throat> lovely wife or with my friends or whatever, I kind of lose sight of my entire, like my feet get washed out from under me. And if my friend is like, you did this, I fall all over myself to like, I'm so sorry. Let me take that on. How do I blah, 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 blah. And sometimes there's a place where it's like, no, like I've apologized to you, but I'm really clear where I was coming from. And it wasn't whatever you're making it up to mean. And this is the, so I lose that, that I lose my own sovereignty um, mm. to, to work through that insensitivity. I've been, that's, I've been doing a lot of work on that um, in my marriage. That's been a theme that mm. we've been working on. And, and of course that's because Bay, my wife has also been doing a lot of her own work. And so yeah. the beautiful thing about romantic committed relationship is our work, my work sources her, and then she's got something new and then that sources my work and so on and so forth. Yeah. And the, also can be, I'm guessing infuriating at the same time sometimes. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and so hard, you know, like so hard. being kind of like, that reactive self is like overly sensitive, right? Overly concerned over there. It's a little codependent really. Yeah. But like I was raised to like really care about other people. And so to like that, the work for me sometimes is to almost do what occurs to me as being selfish in the face of a fear that I'm selfish, right? It's kind of like it's counterintuitive. A lot of it's yeah. why the obvious fix doesn't work and it's usually something else. And yeah, so it is, it's really infuriating at times and really <laughs> challenging. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Adam. I mm. can't wait to read the book. I'm going to, I really encourage anybody who is a leader, as a coach, really anybody who's interested in this topic whatsoever. I can, this concept and this topic to me can be applied in every single area of your life as a parent. How do you underclock or overclock as a parent? How are you, how do you do this mm -hmm. in your marriage and your romantic for those who play sports or musicians? Like there's always this idea of overclocking or underclocking things. And what I hear is the output of this is like, how do you actually just get to have the darn most fun in your life and have the most ease in the places that sweet spot in the middle, that you're yeah. never catching up. And I think I've gotten to a point where a lot of my life feels that way. I know that you've done a lot of work to get there too. a lot of work, but a lot of not work at the same time, just yeah. like be yourself. You're like, yeah, be, be myself. And I don't need to overclock or underclock. So, uh, Adam, how do you see the world? Um, fundamentally good and, um, fundamentally innocent. Mm. That doesn't mean that people aren't doing bad things. And it doesn't mean that people aren't jerk bags. It just means that fundamentally, I believe people have a beautiful essence. And when they show up in ways that we relate to or judge as bad, evil, whatever, what's really happening is they're scared. And from our fear causes all the harm that we cause because we become yep. selfish. We become caught in ourselves and we're not able to empathize because we're worried about our own self-annihilation. And so, yeah, fundamentally good, fundamentally innocent. Yeah. I like the polite Canadian jerk bag. We, that's not how we would say that here in New York. <laughs> jerk no. bag. You're like, you're like, you're such a jerk bag. I like that. That's a good one. I like, I'm going to start using that. <laughs> All right, Adam, how can everybody listening connect with you? What's the best way to find you, find out more about the book, obviously, just who you are, what you're up to in the world and all the, and we haven't even talked about all the other stuff I know you're up to, but how can people connect with you if they want to want to do so? Yep. Um, so obviously the social medias are easy. Uh, Facebook, I'm on there. LinkedIn, I'm on there. 
there's only one other Adam Quiney in the world and he's not me. So just follow me. That's pretty easy. <laughs> very, for, very fortunate. Yeah. And um, my website, I put a lot of my art there. So that's just adamquiney.com. And I beat that other guy out. And uh, the other place I would suggest people go if they want to kind <clears throat> of engage more in the leadership conversation that I am passionate about is my podcast. So if they search mm -hmm. Adam Quiney Get Lit, the podcast name will change, but don't worry about that for now. Or you can go to my website and there's a link there to it. And I it's a generally about 20 minute format where I talk about some kind of distinction in leadership. So those yeah. are all the best ways to connect. Awesome. All right, Adam, last thing for us. Thank you. Well, before we do it, thank you again. Labor of love with the book. I cannot wait to read it. It's going to make mm. a difference for so many people. Last thing, Adam, leave us with some short and sweet words of wisdom. Um, Put me right on the spot. Short and sweet. I'm more like a long and bitter kind of person, but <laughs> I would probably say one, um, if you have not yet had the gift of an experience working with a coach, I highly recommend it. It makes my life immeasurably better. And I really think it supports everyone. And two, just practice considering that the world is fundamentally good and fundamentally innocent, and then trace whatever is annoying you back to that place if you can. And it'll make your life better because mm. you'll start to see people with more compassion and that'll allow you to see yourself with more compassion. Yeah. I love that. That's uh that's a perfect way to wrap today, Adam. Thank you so much for being on. Keep up the good work. Hope you don't have to work with too many jerk bags today or the next week. And uh, can't wait to read the book. And we'll have you back on again sometime, probably next season, to talk about how it's been going. Looking forward to it. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Adam. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking to Cool People with Jason Frizzell. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and give us a shout out or take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. If something from today's episode piqued your interest and you'd like to connect, email us at podcast at jasonfrizzell.com. We love hearing from our listeners because you're cool people too. <laughs>